And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 191 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly and Andy. 191, that's Carl Hubble's lifetime batting average. And now you know. Oh, really? Well, what why, what are we doing with the DH? Huge mistake. <laughs> he was good at a lot of things, but not so much at hitting. He did have in his career uh, 535 games, one stolen base, and I'm half tempted to dig around and see if I can get a story out of that? I think that that's an oral history waiting to happen right now. Most people are probably dead who would talk about it, but, you know, you could recreate it. (laughs) 191 is also the number of mosquito bites I have on my torso at any given point right now. Uh, That's because I was camping for most of the last week. I did not watch a lot of Giants baseball, so I'm counting on you. This is an informational session for me more than a jabber jaw session back and forth. Tell me about the Giants. What's wrong with the Giants? What's going on with the Giants? Explain it to me like I'm five. If I had to present you with the choice of watching the last week of Giants baseball or going into anaphylactic shock because you have 190 mosquito bites, (laughs) it's kind of a toss-up, really. Um, (laughs) Tough one. I'd have to think on that in a little bit. I will say that one time I was uh, covering a, a Giants series in Miami, and I like to try to do something fun, you know, when I'm on the road. Sure. And, uh, you know, I've, I've gone to basically every museum there is to go to by now and, you know, every restaurant I've wanted to go to by now. But one time in Florida, I thought, you know what? I've never been to the Everglades. And it's like right there, basically where the street ends, the Everglades begins. So I thought, I'm, I'm going to go hang out in the Everglades. And, and I found a, this place where you could rent a bike and they had a little bike path. And it was like 99 degrees that day. <laughs> so I, I guess you can't complain about being hot in the Everglades. It's, you know, not kind of part of the bargain. It wasn't a dry 99, was it? No. And there's also like no cover whatsoever. So you're oh just God. exposed. So yeah, I, I roasted. But um, the fun part, the real fun part is you get to the end of this this bike loop and there's this tower you can go up and you can actually get a nice view of everything. And then there's this little path. It's, it's very, very small, but it takes you like down to a creek. And I'm on this path and I turn the corner and there is probably a 500 pound alligator staring at Ooh. me. And I mean, this thing was was like, you know, breathing through its uh, like its mouth was like hanging open because it was hot, obviously. And so I like just froze. And strangely, I didn't like dash off in the other direction. I kind of like stood and like stared at it for a while. And I'm (laughs) afraid of a lot of animals, even domestic animals. But I was not afraid of Mr. Alligator. The only problem 
was in the like 20 seconds that I was staring at that alligator, I was bit by about 500 mosquitoes. Um, and <laughs> it was a revelation when I took my shirt off uh, to take a shower before I went to the ballpark. I realized, oh my goodness, I have like, I'm covered in mosquito bites. And uh, so that's my that's my Florida Everglades story. That's good. couple of points. I think that in a 90s indie movie, when you met that alligator, that would have been like the pivotal point. It would have been a very meaningful part of your life that would have explained the whole story somehow. The alligator uh, has swallowed the, the giant gemstone and, and Michael Douglas told me to get it back. So, you know, but hey, you know what? We've gotten almost four minutes into this podcast without having to talk about the last week of Giants baseball. So that's a win, I think. That's the goal. That was the goal because I did watch one game. That was Thursday's game. And listen, I don't like hyperbole. I don't like, just seems it's too easy. To, oh, this is the worst ever. This is, oh, that's the greatest ever. Like this is, that might have been the worst defensive inning I've watched. And I mean, as a collective team, because I was personally at the Bob Brenly game. So I've seen personally worse defense from one individual. But as far as like an airborne virus affecting the entire team, good fielders or poor fielders, indifferent fielders, that might have been the worst I've seen. And I'm trying to fight against the hyperbole. Talk me off of this hyperbole ledge. Well, I mean, the Dodgers did have a game just a couple weeks ago where Max Muncy literally had a ground ball rolled to him. All he's got to do is pick it up and throw to first, and he botched it as the as, as the tying and winning run scored. Um, that was great. To, to walk them off. So that I mean, in terms of like uh, you know a, a shocking error that loses you a ball game, I mean, that literally flipped a win into a loss. So you know what I've written about the Giants' defense this week basically is. You know, they're not passing the eye test and they're not passing the test test. They just, they're, they're really bad defensively. Essentially, the good news is that their pitchers are getting the right kind of contact. Second uh, lowest average exit velocity, best ground ball rate in the major leagues, third best uh, uh, lowest barrel rate. They're getting the right kind of contact. And yet the opponent's uh, batting average on balls in play, which is about a little less than 290 league wide, it was like 315 against the Giants. I mean, it's almost almost 30 points higher than what it should be. And that's if you have average contact and the Giants get a lot worse than average contact. So that just tells you a lot of plays are not being made that should be made. And a lot of balls are not even are squeaking through that shouldn't squeak through. And a lot of balls are dropping that should be caught. And, you know, it just tells you that aside from Austin Slater and maybe Steven Duggar when he's healthy, there's really no one who's above average at any defensive position on this field. And it's, it's costing the them wins. And, and not only that, you know, when you look at Logan Webb, he had the kind of stuff to go the distance uh, in the finale against the Rockies. And not only does he not do that, but he, he, you know, they have to use John Brevia to get an out in the sixth when Darren Ruff makes an error. They have to use Tyler Rogers for the fourth time in six days. That's not what you want to do when you're about to face the Dodgers. I mean, it costs them pitches. It costs them pitching changes. And that's the kind of stuff that affects you more than one day. It bleeds into the next day. It's almost the opposite of what Gabe Kapler talks about when he says, hey, we're going to have the pedal to the metal and we're going to steal bases up eight because we might get a pitching change out of our opponent and, and we might that might have effects later in the series. Well, this is the same thing. It's just they're 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 shooting themselves in the foot and they're doing it to themselves and 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 the effects last beyond you know a loss or an unearned run. They end up lingering into the next series and this next series is a big one. If you are a grant completionist as far as podcasts, you will know. Well, first off, I can send you a list of books that you can do instead. Um, but 
you might have remembered this exact point when I was talking about the Phillies a couple weeks ago on the, the round table where I said, listen, it's not just about the boneheaded plays the Phillies are making in the field, but it it's the pitches, it's the extra innings, it's everything, it's cumulative. It is something that doesn't just show up right now. It's not something that next has to show up in this Dodgers series. It might show up in September in just a very vague, intangible way. And I... I just, I, it's so bad, and I go back to, I don't want to blame injuries for almost anything. I think 2021, where every team had injury problems after the pandemic, shortened season, that is kind of disabused me the notion that, oh, you can blame injuries for this, because everyone's having injuries, and I think that's still true to a little bit, but I just, I have to think that an infield of Longoria, and Crawford, and Estrada, and Brandon Belt when they play together, should convert batted balls into outs. It, are we past that? Is Crawford trending too far towards average? Is Longoria trending too far towards average? Should that still be a good defensive infield? I think so when, when they're healthy. And, um, you know, none of them have been perfectly healthy. And all of them are a year older. And so from an actuarial standpoint, I mean, the Giants had to count on this being an issue to some degree, uh, and um, you know they had to cover for it. And you could argue that they didn't do a very good job covering uh, themselves. So yeah, they shouldn't be taken by surprise that they've missed some of the regulars to the injured list, or or that there is some drop off in range or performance. I mean, that's what happens when you get into your mid mid thirties. So you know, I I think that that's probably something that um, should be pointed out that you know this is they are not completely able to throw up their hands and just curse the baseball gods for not being healthier or, um, you know, being unlucky with balls that sneak through. But, you know, it's, I think that one thing that's interesting is we know that they make the kind of analytical, like devil's bargain that, okay, you know, we can coach up someone who doesn't have a lot of range. We can make them better at catching the stuff that's within their reach. We can position them efficiently to try to make up for some of these deficiencies. And we believe that what a Wilmer Flores is going to do for you on the hitting side, you know, what a Darren Ruff is going to do for you on the hitting side, uh, go down the list, Jock Peterson, is going to make up for the deficiencies uh, or the runs that they might, you know, lose you in the field. That's why this team is, has six DHs, basically. The, the National League brought on the Universal DH, and the Giants were like, yes, let's have six of them. Let's pile as many into the shopping cart as we can. But that's that's what they thought. They thought, okay, you know, they're, they're going to out-hit, basically, what they can't catch. And I'm sure they crunch a lot of numbers, and that was true. And, and maybe that's a little less true with the way that, you know, the baseball was traveling the first two months of the season, and we'll see if that changes. What blows my mind about all of this is that the Giants are very, very similar. This roster is very similar to last year's roster. In last year's roster, by most metrics, was good. That's the the point about your when you wrote that article about defensive efficiency and converting batted balls into outs, they were good last year. And I'm I'm looking like I've I've kind of done the flip back and forth, the the optometrist test of like, is it is this better or is this better? And I'm looking at the roster and I'm thinking What's the tipping point here? Is it Jock Peterson? Like, no, I can't. You can't blame one player. Is it age? Because Crawford is a year older, like you're saying. Longoria is a year older. Maybe, maybe it's a, a combination of all these things. But I'm just looking at the two rosters, and I can't find that tipping point, which makes this defensive collapse all the more maddening. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's um, just a little bit of air out of the, out of everyone's balloon, to be honest. And even the players that you think, well, at least we're okay there. You look at second base and Tyro Estrada made two errors in you know the horror inning behind you know Logan Webb on Thursday. 
But, you know, prior to that, you might think, well, you know, he's he's pretty good. He's rangy. He's the metrics hate Tyro Estrada. They really don't like him <laughs> at all. He has the, the minus nine runs above average was the worst on the entire team. I mean, he kind of reminds me of Ray Durham a little bit. He's more sure handed than, than Ray was. But Ray could not go back on a, on a pop fly in the outfield to save his life. I mean, there were just some plays he was just not very good at. And you didn't quite notice it because you definitely notice it when someone, you know, boots a ball. You don't necessarily notice it when he can't quite get to that ball at the middle or can't knock a ball down that saves a run from scoring from second base. And, you know, I, frankly, I think, uh, you know, the, the eye test might be a little bit misleading when it comes to Tyro Estrada. Let me just interject real quick. I do agree that Ray Durham was shaky defensively, but on this podcast, uh, at least on this half, pro Ray Durham. I think Ray Durham is one of the more underrated Giants, one of my favorite Giants to watch when he was going right. I am a big Ray Durham fan. Let's just take a moment to uh, appreciate Ray Durham for a second. Can I tell you a Ray Durham story? Please, please. I've told this story before, I'm pretty sure, but... You know, if you haven't heard it, it's new to you. Um, <laughs> so the Giants are in Milwaukee one time. Ray Durham's playing second base. And Guillermo Rodriguez was a catcher they just called up from the minor leagues. He had been in the minor leagues for like eight years. This is his first big league game. I forget who he's, he's catching. It might be Brad Hennessy, someone like that. But Bruce Bochy noticed that Guillermo was a little amped up and uh, was a little concerned that he might literally overthrow the pitcher on the throwback to the mound. So... He calls over Ray Durham in between innings, and he says, Ray, just do me a favor. Just just shade a little bit up the middle uh, when Guillermo throws it back, just to make sure, you know. And he's like, oh, no problem. I got you, Skip. I got you. And <laughs> the way Bochi told the story is, I give Ray credit. He did it. He did it with nobody on base. He did it when the umpire <laughs> threw a ball back to the mound. <laughs> I had to pull him aside. I said, Ray, you know when the umpire throws it, it's not a live ball. But I appreciate the effort. So that's my Ray Durham story. You never know when the umpires get a bit fired up, too. I mean, it's I, I love that story. It, there is one player who is uh, doing okay defensively, and I think maybe we should talk about it. Very solid with the glove. Behind the plate, that's Joey Bart. He can be steady behind... Uh, oh, wait. Hold on. Let me read this. How long were you gone? What? Where, oh my. Were you in a cave? I Well, I did not have any connection to the outside world. I really didn't. And so Joey Bart, when I came back, I checked up on a few things. And however I went about my rounds on the internet, I missed Joey Bart getting sent down entirely until the next morning. There was something that crossed my path and I was like, whoa, what? How did I miss that? So uh, I guess we should talk about Joey Bart getting sent down. That wasn't a surprise necessarily. It's a surprise relative to where the Giants thought they'd be at the beginning of the season. But it was just untenable. He was just striking out way too much. And I think they still have plans for him in the future. So they wanted to get him right where he could get all the at-bats he needed without killing the Major League roster. It almost seems cruel to go through and, and, and highlight what all the, the strikeout numbers are. But, I mean, you look at what he did in two strike counts, and it was it's just, I think he's four for like 63, and one of the hits was a homer off Albert Pujols. And even that got to his two strike count with like, you know, 50 strikeouts. So, yeah, it, it was just, I mean, you reach a point where you're not doing him any favors to run him out there. And honestly, I think they would have done it a long time ago if they had anyone in the organization that was a decent alternative. And they had to go out and get their second AAA catcher from another organization to find someone that they liked enough that they could justify sending Joey Bart out. They were at the point where they were doing him 
him a disservice for him to be facing big league pitching. He's got to go get his head right and start to compete and just put the bat on the ball and see some results again and and, and maybe make some, whether it's minor changes or an overhaul, I'll let the, the, the hitting people who know what they're talking about figure that out. But yeah, I mean, obviously he, he became, you know, essentially a pitcher batting in the year of the Universal DH. And it only took one game for Austin wins to come in, you know, and, and he gets an RBI single and you think, gosh, you know, that when's the last time we saw an RBI single from Joey Bart and he had two RBIs in all of May and a lot of rallies just, just died with his strikeouts. And there are a couple games, I think in like Philly and at Coors Field where they could have piled on a lot more runs with, with just a, a ball in play. And it wasn't happening. So, yeah, I, I think that this is the best thing for the team, the best thing for him. And, you know, they're very, very careful to say, you know, look, this isn't a, re- a repudiation of the player. This isn't us saying that this guy's not a big leaguer. They, they still believe that Joey Bart's going to play a role on this year's team and, and is an important guy in this organization. If for nothing else, uh, to rebuild his trade value if in case, uh, you know, they want to try to extract some value out of him that way. But um, he's important. They got to get him right. And they weren't going to do it in the big leagues. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I would guess the plan isn't to get him right and get him back in the majors within the next month or two. That The plan is just to have him on his own timetable and let them figure that out as it comes, which means that the plan now is one of two things. One is... Kirk Casale is now uh, has the bulk of the catching innings, and he's more of a starter than a backup catcher, which is a role he's never really had in the major leagues. Uh, the other plan would be to get someone from outside the organization and not in the Austin wins kind of way, but trading for a Wilson Contreras or someone like that. What do you think the plan is? I mean, at this point, we're just guessing. I'm half inclined to think it's just ride and die with Casale and hope that he has the stamina to survive a full season. Maybe something shakes loose at the trade deadline, but I think that should be the plan right now until further notice. Yeah, Kirk Casale has never played in 90 games in a major league season. He's already been on the concussion list once this year. We know that there are definitely dangers to to being thin at catcher because you're one foul tip away from, you know, kind of disaster. And so I, you know, I don't think that Kirk Casale is going to be, you know, playing at a pace where he, you know, catch 120 plus games from from this point forward. I think he's, you know, he can't catch two more than two in a row without probably really having a lot catch up to him. So physically. So I I do think that Austin Wins is here to play a lot. I think he's here to play you know, maybe, you know, 40% of the time, I would imagine, if not more. If something else rolls along, then yeah, I think the Giants are going to have to consider it. But, you know, a couple things. One, young players are struggling all up and down the big leagues right now. I mean, there there are, whether you're looking at a Spencer Torkelson or a, a Jared Kelnick in the minors, or, um, you know, you can go down the list of a lot of young players have really struggled. 
So it's not easy. It's not easy to break into the big leagues right now. And some of that could be the fact that, you know, these are players who lost, you know, essentially a whole year of development in the minor leagues and, and maybe don't have as many plate appearances as you normally would have or haven't fully graduated from one level to the next. Um, I mean, the Giants are even jumping, you know, someone like Ricardo Henevis. He skipped double A and that was kind of out of out of uh, necessity. And he's, you know, kind of scuffling along in triple A with a lot of pass balls. So there's that factor. And then, you know, the, the other factor is that catchers are not hitting no matter where you look. The Blue Jays are getting some production out of catcher. Even the Reds have, uh, you know, Stevenson's a really good offensive catcher. He just broke his thumb. <laughs> so there's nobody who's hitting who's a catcher. You know, Yadier Molina's hitting like a buck 30. I mean, I think the Giants are not the only team in baseball that's really struggled to get production out of this spot. And they, they're not even anywhere near the bottom. Look at what Martin Maldonado is hitting for the Houston Astros. You know, one of the best teams in Major League Baseball is getting about a 400 OPS out of their catching spot. So this is definitely not something that is unique to the Giants. Yeah, I wrote a a big long thing about catching and how difficult and how even the smart teams have to struggle to find catchers from year to year. And at the end, it was just sort of like an aside, but it was a really important point, which is be grateful that Kirk Casale is doing way better than almost anyone else. I think he's got the eighth best OPS among catchers in baseball. The Giants are actually getting production out of catcher. And I do want to toot my horn at some level when it comes to, I spent a lot of the offseason sort of being cynical about Joey Bart and I felt bad about it, but I was I was putting all these stats together and all these historical comparisons and, and saying, is this really how you're going to go? Is this really where the Giants are going to, to do their catching? And that looks smarter now, except all of my suggestions were also bad. Sean Murphy's been horrible. (laughs) Jacob Stallings has been horrible. Like nothing would have fixed this. Nothing would have fixed this. And it would have gone, prospects would have gone the other way. My way was worse. So A, be grateful for Kirk Casale and B, Yes, catching all around the league. I mean, the Marlins paid a a decent price for Jacob Stallings. He's been worse than Barton in a lot of ways. So if I can summarize what you just said, you're going to toot your own horn that your advice was worse. Yes, yes, that's a good way to put it. And I think that that applies to almost anything I write that's baseball related. Yeah, right. Um, Well, give yourself some credit. I think that you've done some wizardry over the years when it comes to what the Giants are going to do. I think you've pre-called quite a few moves to the point where I think that you are, you know, burning incense or something to to baseball gods. But uh, but yeah, it's it's if you look at what this team's the Giants where they are, they're thirty and twenty six, right? They're they're not hopelessly buried. They're like what six and a half games behind the Dodgers right now as the Dodgers roll into town. I would argue that these games against the Dodgers are probably not as important as the games in, say, Atlanta that they're going to play later this month because, I, I mean, I don't know. I Is it time to just turn the page on the division and, and, and say that, okay, this team has challenged, you know, they, defensively they're not very good, but, you know, the hitting numbers are, are pretty good. The offense has been better than you might think, and, you know, the, where they rank in, as, in terms of a pitching staff and doing the right things, uh, we've already highlighted that. that th- this team does a lot of things better than average and probably will will continue to do a lot of those things at a better to average level and, and probably will be above 500. And, you know, what is that going to mean? Can they be good enough to catch the Dodgers? Or if not, then you're looking at, okay, you've got the Padres, you've got the Cardinals, you've got the Brewers, you've got the Mets that have a big lead on the Braves. The Phillies have not gone away. They've come back. They've won you know, six or seven in a row since they made their managerial change and they're sitting there a game under 500. But I mean, if you're looking at at where the important parts of the schedule are for the Giants, it's probably to beat 
the Braves when they play them. It's probably to beat the Padres. It's probably to beat the Cardinals, uh, which they don't have any games left, I think, against the Cardinals. But uh, um, so, yeah, as big as this Dodger series is coming up, it probably is not as important as some of the other games are going to play later this month. You asked rhetorically if it was time to turn the page on the division. I could hear the minds of some cynical Giants fans saying, I think that page was turned in the offseason. I think Mm -hmm. when the, the new format came along and there wasn't a wild card game, but a wild card series, the Giants' wheels got turning and, and they didn't necessarily need to spend money on, I don't know, Robbie Ray or whomever they might have spent money on. So I agree with you. I, I don't want the Giants to turn the page on the division. I, they're, what, six and a half out right now. I, that is not impossible. It's not likely, but it's not impossible. But at the same time, I, I think your overall point, the way I would describe it, is the bones are good. The bones of this team are good. You have Logan Webb pitching at a very high level. You have Jacob Junis, uh, who has been a, a surprise. And when you go with with Eno Saris' stuff ratings, his stuff and command are there. Like, he has big league stuff, and he's getting outs with it, and he looks legit. You have a lineup that is still scoring runs. I mean, they'll have their off days, and they'll have their feckless kind of moments, but they're scoring runs, that part of the defensive gambit is working. I think there's a lot here to make you think the Giants should be definitely one of those wildcard teams, unless all calamity breaks loose. The bones are good of this team, and so I agree that it hasn't been pretty. May has bled into June, and they have not looked good for over a month now. They're still over 500, and I, I think the bones are good. Yeah, I, you look at the last road trip, and and obviously, you know, Cincinnati <laughs> was overshadowed by some other events, but you know, they lose two out of three to a Reds team that's not really a contender. They win two out of three in Philadelphia, but really sort of gag on a chance to sweep, and then you know they go to Miami and and play up and down, and definitely give some away, and, and they split the series. It's a 500 road trip. It seems like a massive disappointment. But that's a 10-game road trip, and they went 5-5. Five and five. And, I mean, that's kind of what you're supposed to be satisfied with. And granted, you know, the Giants have, have, were playing better against teams with losing records prior to that. But, I mean, yeah, they're not playing their way out of contention. And we've we've definitely, you know, covered Giants seasons where, you know, they have done that by this point. So this is not a team that you look at and think, wow, well, they need to be overhauled. This is, uh, you know, this is, this is turning into a lost year. I mean, it certainly is not. But... By the same token, I think you make a very, very valid point about whether you look at the, how some of the players have aged this year or some of their defensive deficiencies. I mean, how much would a Trevor Story have improved the entire defense of this team? I mean, you put him at second base and he can back up uh, Brandon Crawford at shortstop. I mean, you know, he would have helped. We've talked about how the choice wasn't necessarily Carlos Rodon or Kevin Gossman, but it could have been both of them. And Gossman obviously has, has come down a little bit since his impossibly awesome start, but Still a pretty darn good starting pitcher, and there's no question the Giants could have done more, and if they end up not making the postseason, you better believe that this front office and this this uh, you know baseball operations group is, is going to have to answer for that, and they'll get some criticism for that, and I think it's going to be warranted. I think if they ask very nicely, they could probably still get Marcus Simeon and or Corey Seager from a (laughs) Rangers team that has to be panicking because that's the flip side of spend money. Come on, spend money. It's not my money. It's it's Charles Johnson's money. Go on and spend it. But man, the Rangers, they dumped, I don't know what the final total was, but just south of 400 million or something. 
uh, maybe 500 million on two players for a middle infield and they're hitting neither one of them has an OPS over 700 Marcus Simeon's OPS is 633 there's nothing more helpless I remember when the Giants signed Barry Zito and there was that moment where you realized this ain't getting better is it like this is kind of <laughs> just how this guy is now what in the heck happened and I that's a tough thing to watch as a fan too up until the moment when 2012 happened and he threw the shutout at Coors Field in the fourth game of the season after not being able to get anybody out in spring training and then turned into a postseason hero like we all saw coming. Oh, man, especially when the Cardinals were a team that was designed in a laboratory to hit soft left-handed pitching. I mean, that that's my favorite part of that. That was not a, a team that was a buzzsaw against right-handers and then, oh, no, a left-hander, what do we do? That was a team that should have pounded Barry Zito. That always just tickles me. Hey, um, so we've got just a couple minutes left, and I thought that maybe it might be a good idea since we are mentioning 2012. We are coming up on June 13th, 2022 is the 10-year anniversary of a certain nine innings pitched by a certain right-handed Giants pitcher named Matt Cain, uh, his perfect game anniversary. And uh, I talked to him on the phone the other day. I'll be writing up a little retrospective here uh, pretty soon. There's going to be a Matt Cain perfect game bobblehead given out on Sunday, and he'll be at the ballpark to be Fetted, feet, feeted. I, I, that word looks better spelled out than saying it. Um, it does. Anyway, so he will not be feted. <laughs> he will be. Uh, he will be praised. Let's just say that he'll be praised. So I wonder if you have uh, maybe a sort of a distilled thought about uh, Matt Cain's perfect game. Well, first off, my favorite fact of the entire Matt Cain perfect game universe is still that Jason Castro is from Castro Valley. Uh, that is still my favorite factoid. I just love it. I'm living in his valley. You know what I mean? It's his valley and we're all just living in it. That game has a lot of that game more than almost any other single regular season game. I mean, for obvious reasons, but it makes my brain swirl in a lot of different directions. One of which is that, uh, my father-in-law, uh, who passed away a couple years ago, uh, he was not a diehard Giants fan and he probably went to one game in 10 years and that was the game he chose. And he let me know it every time that, that we talked about the Giants or it came up. And I loved that. about He was just so tickled that he was at Matt Cain's perfect game. So I love that. Um, the other thing is I was supposed to be there. And I probably told this story before, but, uh, you know, I was supposed to be there doing the golf thing before uh, the game. And I know that I would have sneezed and caught Matt Cain's attention and that would have screwed up the perfect game. So I'm not even bitter about it. I think about that. I think about where I was professionally. Uh, Jeff Sullivan had just left SB Nation. So I was in charge of writing everything about all baseball teams and all the giant stuff on McCovey Chronicles. And I was almost crying because I did not want him to throw that perfect game in a way because it meant I would be up until four in the morning writing giant stuff on McCovey Chronicles. But at the same time, once he did it, I was energized and I stayed up till four in the morning and had a and had a grand old time. So it's just such a melange. It, and it was just a beautiful pitched game. Uh, the Gregor Blanco dive. I mean, everything about it just it it's almost like a dog putting its nose into something that is 10 times more fragrant than anything else. And all these smells just go up its nose. And it just it's almost overload. So I just compare myself to a dog. I, I, I think you did, maybe. I'm not sure. But um, one of my favorite little details is that, you know, Bruce Bochy wanted to get him out of there as soon as, you know, he lost the perfect game. But he did not even want to put a reliever on the mound to, to distract Matt Cain. So he had Shane Lukes warming up 
indoors throwing off flat ground in the, in the batting cage um, so and was going to like basically like surprise debut him uh, if, if Kane had given up a hit. So I love that detail that Bruce Bochy was that sort of thoughtful and pres- had that presence of mind. He didn't even want to introduce the thought to Matt Kane that, you know, he was going to come out of that game. So that's one of my favorite details. And, and there are obviously a lot of them. I used to, when I would watch games at Candlestick in, the, I don't know, the, the late 90s, and I would be home watching it, and I'd be by myself, and you could see it would be a Tuesday night game or something against the Expos, and there'd be 4,000 people in the stands. And when a pitcher got to the fifth inning with a no-hitter intact, I would just get in my head, and I live 15 minutes away from the ballpark, and I'd say, you should just go. Just go get in the ballpark. This could be it. This could be it because at the time there had not been a no hitter, Giants no hitter in my lifetime. John Montefusco was in 76 and I not in my lifetime was a Giants no hitter. So there was that stretch where it was just it consumed me, this idea of a no hitter, a perfect game. And for the Giants just to have an annual one every year, seemingly after Jonathan Sanchez broke the dam, it was still just as special. And the perfect game part of it was just just fantastic because perfect games are just so so rare and, and possibly rare in baseball history still to this day. So I don't know. It's it's one of the coolest things as my dog freaks out and carries a toy dinosaur to me. Still one of the coolest things in Giants history. Yeah, you had Philip Humber, you had uh, Matt Cain, you had uh, Felix Hernandez, all pitch perfect games in 2012. We have no hitters like every week now. And there hasn't been a perfect game since 2012. So that tells you how how rare it is. And I was talking to Evan Longoria about that. And he was actually on the losing side of three perfect games. Three. I don't know how how anyone could be on the losing side of three perfect games, but he was. So so he'll definitely, I think, take in the Matt Cain celebration uh, with a little bit of a different perspective than everybody else. I know we're out of time, but I just have to get in now that you've mentioned Devin Longoria's name. My daughter asked me the other day, she says, uh, do you, you remember that that play? Is it a famous play in baseball history where a guy, he he's talking to a reporter and he saves her by reaching out and sticking out his hand and catching a foul ball that's going for a head? And I said, hey, that's a viral commercial from like 2010. How are you, <laughs> how's that getting into your algorithm? And B, that guy's on the Giants now. And so every time I'm watching the Giants, she's saying, hey, is, is, where's that guy where's that guy and i point out evan longori she's like wow and it's just the funniest thing that that is the one viral thing that that went in her orbit that was like the beginning of of, of the deep fakes yeah yes like, oh, oh wait we can do this now i can't trust anything i see with my eyeballs anymore <laughs> ever again all right this has been the episode what episode 191 what did i say one it's carl hubble 90. episode 191 yes this has been episode 191 of the bags of history podcast thank you so much for listening no thanks to my puppy, Maggie, who has decided in the last five minutes to start freaking out for no apparent reason. But we will be back, I believe. We've been a little loosey-goosey with this because of my vacations and such. But I think we're back on Monday. I believe we are. I believe we're back on Monday. Okay, so we will be back on Monday, and we will see you then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.